Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of growth disorders from the pediatric section on MedBullets.com. As a quick overview, let's go over the difference between constitutional growth delay and precocious puberty. Constitutional growth delay is the most common cause of short stature and pubertal delay. Adolescents will have a normal growth spurt and a normal adult height. In terms of presentation of constitutional growth delay, patients will have a normal birth weight and height, however, will drop in percentiles on the growth curve between six months and three years. Then there will be reestablishment of normal growth velocity and following the growth curve at the fifth to 10th percentiles. In terms of evaluation, constitutional growth delay is characterized by a bone age that is less than the chronological age. So the child's short height is often appropriate when assessed in the context of their skeletal age. Know that TSH is the best next step in management when a child falls off their growth curve. Treatment is reassurance and regular follow-up. Precocious puberty is going through puberty at a younger age than is expected. That is less than 8 for girls and less than 9 for boys. If there is an advanced bone age, precocious puberty can be broken down into central and peripheral. Central corresponds with a high FSH and LH, which may be caused by CNS tumors. Therefore, order a head CT slash MRI to rule out secondary causes. The peripheral type of precocious puberty will correspond to a low FSH and LH and can be secondary to abnormal secretion of sex hormones from the ovaries slash testes slash adrenal glands. If there is a normal bone age in the setting of precocious puberty, there may be isolated premature thelarchy or isolated premature adrenarchy. Precocious puberty can also occur secondary to obesity. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. An 11-year-old boy is brought to the pediatrician by his parents. They are concerned because he is the smallest boy in his class and is sometimes picked on for being so short. The patient has no significant medical history and has been meeting all his developmental milestones. He eats a healthy and balanced diet which contains fruits and vegetables. His temperature is 98.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.1 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 97 over 68 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 120 per minute. Respirations are 14 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. Physical exam reveals an energetic young boy with a physical exam that is not remarkable. His growth curve demonstrates a pediatric patient tracking across growth curves that is from the 50th percentile towards the 10th percentile. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the choices are 1. Growth hormone 2. MRI of the head 3. Radiograph of the lower extremity 4. Reassurance and 5. TSH The correct answer to this question is 5. TSH So this patient is presenting with growth delay and has fallen off his growth curve. The next best step in management is to obtain a TSH level. Growth delay can have many different causes including constitutional delay, malnutrition, hypothyroidism, and CNS lesions. When a child presents with growth delay and has fallen off their growth curve, the best next step in management is to assess for hypothyroidism with a TSH level as this is a common cause that is easily treatable. Hypothyroidism is a common and easily treatable cause that should initially be worked up prior to more invasive tests such as bone age, via radiographs, and IGF slash growth hormone levels. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, growth hormone is incorrect as this is an appropriate intervention if there is not another correctable cause of growth delay and the patient has low IGF levels, which is released in response to growth hormone. 
Answer two, MRI of the head would be appropriate if you suspected a CNS lesion. However, this is not a common cause of growth delay. Answer three, radiograph of the lower extremity could assess the patient's growth plates. However, this is not a typical step in the workup of growth delay. Typically, it is a radiograph of the wrist to check for appropriate bone age. Finally, answer four, reassurance would be appropriate if his TSH level returned within normal range and there were no other concerns for a diagnosis other than constitutional growth delay. To leave you with a bullet summary, the best initial step in management for growth delay is to obtain a serum TSH. Moving on to the next question. A six-year-old girl is brought to the pediatrician by her father for an annual physical examination. The father reports that the patient is a happy and healthy child, but he sometimes worries about her weight. He says that she is a picky eater and only wants chicken nuggets and french fries. He also notes some mild acne on her cheeks and forehead, but thinks it's because she does not like baths. The father says that she has met all her pediatric milestones. She has recently started kindergarten, can tell time, and is beginning to read. Her teacher says that she gets along with her classmates well. The patient was born at 38 weeks gestation. She has no chronic medical conditions and takes only a multivitamin. Height and weight are above the 95th percentile. Physical examination reveals scattered comedones on the patient's forehead and bilateral cheeks. There is palpable breast tissue bilaterally with raised and enlarged areolae. Scant axillary hair and coarse pubic hair are also noted. A radiograph of the left hand shows a bone age of 9 years. Serum follicular stimulating hormone, or FSH, level is 9.6 milliunits per milliliter, with the normal range being between 0.7 to 5.3 milliunits per milliliter. And luteinizing hormone, or LH, level is 6.4 milliunits per milliliter, with a normal range being less than 0.26 milliunits per milliliter. Which of the following is the most appropriate diagnostic test? And the choices are 1. 17 hydroxyprogesterone levels. 2. Dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate levels. 3. Estrogen levels. 4. Head computed tomography or CT. And 5. Pelvic ultrasound. Correct answer to this question is 4. Head computed tomography or CT. So the patient is presenting at age 6 with acne, breast development, enlarged areolae, pubic hair, advanced bone age, and elevated FSH and LH levels, which is consistent with central precocious puberty. Head CT should be obtained to rule out a secondary cause. Precocious puberty is defined as the development of secondary sex characteristics before age 9 in boys and age 8 in girls. Girls may develop adrenarchy, that is axillary hair and acne, pubarchy, that is pubic hair, and thelarchy, that is breast development, while boys may develop testicular enlargement and pubic-slash-axillary hair growth. Patients will also have accelerated bone growth and advanced bone age. Central precocious puberty is due to early activation of the hypothalamic-pituitary axis. Therefore, FSH and LH are elevated. Central precocious puberty may be idiopathic or secondary to obesity or CNS tumors. Imaging of the head with CT or magnetic resonance imaging or MRI should be performed to rule out secondary causes. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, 17 hydroxyprogesterone levels would be elevated in congenital adrenal hyperplasia. This presents with premature adrenarchy and advanced bone age, but premature thelarchy is not typically seen as estrogen levels would be normal. Answer 2, dehydroepiandrosterone sulfate levels and other serum androgens may be elevated in central precocious puberty, but this is not specific nor diagnostic. Answer 3, estrogen levels may be elevated in McCune-Albright syndrome.
McCune-Albright syndrome is a cause of peripheral precocious puberty, which presents with low FSH and LH. Other characteristic symptoms include cafe au lait spots and bone dysplasia. Finally, answer 5 pelvic ultrasound can assist in the diagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. PCOS presents with oligomenorrhea and hyperandrogenism, not precocious puberty. To leave you with a bullet summary, central precocious puberty presents with elevated FSH and LH levels, and a head CT slash MRI should be performed to rule out secondary causes. And moving on to the final question, an 8-year-old boy presents to his pediatrician for a well visit. His parents state that he has been doing well in school and has many friends. The patient is a member of the chess club and enjoys playing video games. He has a past medical history of asthma, which is treated with albuterol. The patient is in the 99th percentile for weight and 30th percentile for height. His temperature is 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 122 over 88 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 90 per minute. Respirations are 11 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. The patient's body mass index is 39.1 kilograms per meter squared at this visit. On physical exam, you note a young boy who maintains eye contact and is excited to be at the doctor's office. Cardiopulmonary exam is within normal limits. Abdominal exam reveals normal bowel sounds and is non-tender in all four quadrants. Neurological and musculoskeletal exams are within normal limits. Which of the following is the most likely outcome in this patient in the next 10 years? And the choices are 1. Advanced atherosclerotic heart disease. 2. Constitutional growth delay. 3. Precocious puberty. 4. Renovascular hypertension and 5. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis. The correct answer to this question is 3. Precocious puberty. So this pediatric patient is obese and is likely to experience precocious puberty secondary to his obesity. To quickly review, obesity predisposes pediatric patients to precocious puberty and specifically in boys before age 9. The mechanism of this is related to increased insulin production, which increases adrenal androgen production. This results in an increase of estrogen and testosterone production in the gonads. In addition, increased leptin leads to activation of the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, leading to pulsatile gonadotropin-releasing hormone, or GnRH release, which further increases follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH, and luteinizing hormone, or LH levels. These patients should be counseled in weight loss and exercise. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, atherosclerotic heart disease is a possible outcome in this young obese patient who likely has an unhealthy diet. However, this pathology takes many years to develop. Precocious puberty is more likely to occur given his age and body mass index. Answer 2, constitutional growth delay is not likely to happen in this patient. Rather, he is unlikely to experience precocious puberty given his obesity. Answer 3, hypertension is a common complication of obesity. However, it is likely to occur later in life. Renovascular hypertension usually occurs secondary to advanced atherosclerosis or fibromuscular dysplasia. And finally, answer 5, slipped capital femoral epiphysis is a complication that can occur in young obese males, typically around the ages of 11 to 13. However, this is a much more rare pathology than is precocious puberty in an obese patient. To leave you with the bullet summary, precocious puberty is a common outcome in obese pediatric patients. That's all for this review about growth disorders. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. 
Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.